Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Duff Differently. This is Jeremy Kalmanowski, and today we will continue our study of Tractate Shkalim from the Jerusalem Talmud, and we'll talk about the proper uses of public authority, what the, what's the most modest way, what's the self-aggrandizing way. Uh, if you remember from yesterday, we began chapter 5 in the Mishnah, we talked about the roles that different people in different clans had in the ancient temple. And we learned about the people who did some specific, some specific uh, elements of the of the uh, temple service. The Beit Garmu clan, the Garmu clan, they used to break, bake the showbread, and the the Beit Avkinas, they used to make the uh, incense for the temple. And in today's section of the Talmud, it records that these clans were very protective of their knowledge and they wouldn't teach other people how to do that. They, they in fact, enforced their monopoly. So it records that uh, the sages, or as the sages imagine themselves, their ancestors, fired these two clans. They said, you want to keep all the knowledge to yourself and you want to, you want to monopolize this role. So they summoned people from Alexandria in Egypt. Uh, Alexandria was, was considered to be the height of culture and technology in the ancient world. It would be like summoning somebody from Harvard or MIT or something like that. Um, uh, for, they, they called them the people from Caltech, so to speak, uh, and they summoned from Alexandria people who could make the bread that was placed on the, on the table before the altar, and they could make the incense. At least that's what the rabbi hoped would happen, but Lo and behold, the people from Alexandria, for all of their talent, they couldn't do it quite as well as the Beit Garmel people would make the, the bread. Uh, they didn't know how to use the ovens exactly right, and, and the, the showbread was supposed to sit on the, on the table for a full week, but the Alexandrians' bread would turn moldy, and the uh, incense was supposed to arise in a straight cloud of smoke, like a pillar of smoke, but they didn't have it quite right. It flopped over. And so the sages had to beg the people that they had fired to please come back, come back to their old jobs. But these guys, they were smart business people. So they said, well, you're going to have to, you're going to have to double our salary. So they came to have to pay an extravagant amount of money. And the, the passage in the Talmud, which by the way appears both in our section here in Shkalim, it appears elsewhere in the Jerusalem Talmud, also appears in the Babylonian Talmud, it appears that the, the tone of the passage is kind of a begrudging respect for what an excellent job they did, and, and then it even turns a little bit more respectful, it's kind of a begrudging respect, because they weren't happy that they held on to all that knowledge, they weren't happy that they monopolized, they weren't happy that they extorted such an extravagant salary, but they do have to have a grudging respect for how well they did their job, but more importantly, when asked why each of these two clans refused to share the knowledge, they said that we, we have a, a tradition from our ancestors that sooner or later the temple will be destroyed, and we want to make sure that people don't use otherwise sacred processes 
uh, ultimately for for idolatry. So we've kept it just for ourselves. So none of the none of the, the Jews in the in the post temple era will ever use these technologies to serve avodah or or idolatry. And this the rabbis like because they, they think it's a preser- preserving a kind of purity of the ritual. And each of these clans also has another ethical, uh, an- another really ethical model in their behavior. The, the Beit Garmu clan, uh, who baked the bread, themselves for their own food ate very simple bread, never, never any sort of fancy bread, you could say. Uh, we think whole wheat may be nice, but in those days they thought whole wheat was not nice, only white bread was nice. Um, and the Beit Avtinas people, the, the women of that clan, never wore any perfume. So in neither case would anybody ever think that these clans were using sacred stuff for their own personal use. They didn't eat fancy food, they didn't wear fancy perfume. So you knew that they were Nikiim, as the verse says in, in Bamidbar, in the book of Numbers, Nikiim and Me'adunai Ume Yisrael. They were both clean in the sight, or blameless in the sight, both of God and Israel. It's important, it's important that you not only try to, to match uh, uh, what God expects of you, but you should try to act in a way that inspires other human beings to also have confidence in your ethics. Now, the, the passage is going to go on, uh, on the next page, and talk about how important it is, in the same vein, that you not only you know, do what is right, but you be seen to do what is right, that other people will have confidence in you, it goes on to say, in a totally interesting uh, fashion, first of all, it gives some rules that says, you know, that nobody should control public money unless there are at least two people working on the public money. Everyone should check up on their on their fellow. You can't you can't invest all the authority in a single person. Yet, yeah, essentially, you have to have the power to audit. And it goes on to say, in a really interesting example, that uh, Moses, the biblical Moses, was a very rich guy. How, how was it that Moses was such a rich guy? Uh, the, the claim that is made here in a well-known Midrash that also appears elsewhere in rabbinic literature, that when Moses carved out the two tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written, they were carved out of sapphire stone. So Moses, uh, when he chipped away, chip, 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 at the tablets to make, to make them, he just gathered up all the dust, and he had all that sapphire stone that he could grow rich from. And then another version comes along and says, well, there was a quarry, sort of a, a magical quarry of precious gems that opened up in his tent, and that, that was God's gift to him, uh, and there he, therefore he was able to himself grow rich. Now, the Midrash goes on here to say that, quote, quote, the verse from, from the book of Exodus, that the people would watch Moses um, as he... As he uh, uh, you know, walked to the tent of meeting. What, what does it mean they watched him? Well, one one uh, voice says, you know, they, they watched him because they were so impressed with him, he was such a, an inspiring figure, but the other voice says they watched him because they were so suspicious of how rich he was. Look look at him, look at how he is, he's enjoying the, the profits of all of our labors, and, and they suspected Moses of corruption which is really a remarkable thing for the Talmud to say. That the rabbis consider themselves the students of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher, and, and their interpretation of Moses' own uh, supposed wealth was that it was the source of, of the people's suspicion. Like, like most Talmudic stories, each of these voices is given, the, praise, the praising one and the critical one, without, without exactly uh, concluding. 
So thanks for studying today's page with me. I look forward to speaking to you again tomorrow when we will talk about more, uh, more studies in the ethics of tzedakah. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.